Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be here with you. Yesterday morning, I didn't even have a a clue that I would be here, and I got an invite in the afternoon, and I said, uh, sure, I would be willing to preach. Anytime a minister gets an opportunity to preach, uh, he uh, grabs it. Uh, no greater joy than being able to preach the gospel of our Lord in Jesus Christ. Um, for those of you who know me, I think there's many of you, some of you I might even have taught when I was uh, pastor of the church in Chilliwack uh, for, certain 18 year, for 18 years, and it was 18 years ago since I left uh, Chilliwack, uh, moved to, to Brampton of I've been pastoring in the Church of Brampton for some 18 years. Phil suggested that maybe I just give a few words of what we are actually, what's happening in Brampton. Many of you may have heard some some news or some talk about some of the exciting things that are happening in the congregation that was at one point about 10 years ago, we were continually getting smaller and smaller. Uh, Members of the congregation were moving to uh, out of the city. Uh, moving to, uh, to the suburbs, or actually not in the suburbs, just moving out to uh, outlying areas because it was cheaper and they could buy bigger, bigger places there. So, uh, so the, the congregation was really at a crisis point of well, what is the future? Are we going to uh, fold? Um, we were able to build a brand new building. Um, and the question then was, well, why should we build a new building if all we do is we build it and then we're going to close it? And the the thought, and that's, uh, remember having conversations with the congregation and saying, simply making very clear, saying, if we're going to build a new building, then what is the Lord's purpose for us? What is his plan? Well, there's only one, one or two things. Either God, doesn't, God is going to close the church and there's no need for a church here in Brampton anymore. And by the way, Brampton is a city now of around three quarters of a million people. So either God has no place for the church here in Brampton anymore, or there must be an opportunity here. And the other thing that we, that we see within the city is churches are moving out of the city. And yet, we're, where's the population growth? The population growth is in the city. People are coming from, from the nations, and they're coming into this, this city. And what is the greatest need for those who are coming? The greatest need is the gospel. And yet, what's happening to the churches? The churches are fleeing the city, and Christians are fleeing the city. So um, we're convinced, and I was convinced, uh, I was convinced and preached and taught the people, and we talked about it with the people and the congregation, that the Lord has a purpose here. We have to recognize that purpose. And so we prayed about it, and we asked the Lord to, to also bless. And um, we were able to build a new, new building, and we pray that the Lord might also bless it, that people in the community might come to us. And the Lord has indeed reached the best beyond my expectations. Over the past year and a half, we have added some 20 new members to the congregation, people who have come to us. And right now, there are 10, 10 additional people who are in membership training. And there's 10 others who are attending faithfully as visitors and who are on the road to be, uh, becoming members. So uh, you can expect, we can expect that within the next, well, within about a two to three year period that we will add around 40 people uh, from the community uh, to the church. And these are not just people that are coming in the sense of, well, we know we're just looking for a place where we can go on Sundays and where we can just maybe have some, some fellowship. These are people who are searching for the gospel. These are people who want to know who Christ is because they have a great need. They themselves are people who are struggling with the issues and difficulties in their lives. 
And, and as they're trying to sort out their lives and make sense out of, the, out of their lives, they realize we need something else. And most of them, God has already prepared their, their hearts. They're already searching the scriptures. They've already been looking. They've been listening, listening to um, broadcasts and, or, or sermons from other, other ministers and preachers. And they're looking for a church that is faithful. And, and when they come, they're simply overjoyed when they hear the gospel message, when they hear the Bible being opened for them. And the amazing thing is, is that when they come and they hear that gospel message, they want to be part of the church. And they want to be active and so we don't just have nominal members. We're not just have members who are just kind of hanging on. These are people who are serious and, and who love the Lord and who love to have fellowship with brothers and sisters and come every Sunday with great joy. So also for the church in Brampton, we see how the Lord is, is working so, so wonderfully and powerfully. This, this afternoon, um, the sermon that uh, I will be preaching is a sermon, uh, is the start of a short little series that I did from Second Corinthians um, just before uh, my retirement, I retired at the beginning of June. And I wanted to also give encouragement uh, to the congregation with regard to the future. Also encouragement uh, to let them re remind them again of how important the gospel really is. Uh, and that hold on to the word of God. And not be ashamed of the word of God. But the word of God is a, is a word that we need to proclaim to, to the hilltops. We need to proclaim it uh, to, to the city. We need to proclaim it to those who are living in darkness. Because they need to see the glorious light. And so that was the purpose also of, uh, of this series of sermons. Uh, my last sermon uh, in that series was that the Lord has given to us the gospel ministry of reconciliation. It was also the sermon that I began my ministry at some 39 years earlier. And one of the things I said to the congregation is that during my ministry, I preached that my first sermon about reconciliation. I didn't understand reconciliation back then. I didn't really understand what that really meant. I didn't understand how that worked. I mean, conceptually, I did, but not what it really means that the Lord God reconciles people to himself, but also he reconciles people to one another. And also within the church, that really is what we need to, 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 to recognize and to see and to, and to work towards. Um, there'll be an article coming out in, in Clarion fairly soon where I talk about reconciliation. What is it that, what should the church look like? should be a place where people love one another, where they care for one another, where, where they don't allow things to get in between relationships because we have Christ, and in Christ we are united. In Christ we want to give glory and praise to the Lord. So I pray that the Lord might then also grant his blessing over our service this afternoon as we listen then to his holy gospel. Let us begin by reading together a couple of passages from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll begin at verse 7, 3 verse 7. There the Apostle Paul writes, and here we hear the word of God. Now with the ministry of death carved in, letter, in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which is being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even greater glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. 
Indeed, in this case, which once had glory, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at it, at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But, one, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Before we read our, our text, let's just turn for a moment to chapter 11. Verses 1 through 4, where, where Paul kind of relates the, the situation in which he is uh, writing this, this particular letter. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, or 11, verses 1 through 4. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betroth you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So far. Let's turn back into um, chapter 4. And then we'll read together the first six verses, which will be our text for this afternoon. There Paul continues, and he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We, re we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So for our reading from the word of our God. Congregation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. I wonder if you look at your own lives and some of the things that are happening, perhaps you're going through some difficult times in your own life, or you know those who are going through, through some hard times. 
And when you think back to times that you may have faced, that was, was hard. Were there times that you lost heart? And you wonder, there's no way out. There's no hope for me. Nothing will change. There are times that you may feel, you may have felt you were totally discouraged. Nothing was going right. And you could only anticipate that bad things would just keep on happening. Perhaps you were praying. Praying that God might change things in your life. But no matter how hard you pray, nothing seems to change. You might pray and this is really the situation that we have with uh, some members in our congregation and in Brampton. Some are praying for an apartment. And apartments are really, really hard to get and not available or there's bidding wars for them. And every time, again, there's disappointment. Or we have some who are looking for jobs and, and cannot find a job and nothing ever seems to, to work out. It can be discouraging. Lose heart. You may lose heart when you have... A medical situation and the medical treatments do not have the desired results. You might have chronic, chronic illness, and, and no matter what the doctor tries, it doesn't make it better. The pain continues. Perhaps you have a marriage relationship, a relationship that is going badly, and, and nothing ever seems to, to get better in that relationship. Sometimes it only, it only gets, goes from, better, or from, from bad to worse. Or think of... Where we live today in this world as Christians, there are times that we may lose heart at what we see happening in this world. If you think of what's going on in the Middle East right now, and the whole world seems to be a powder keg where, where war seems to be threatening to break out any moment, do we lose heart? The world in which we live is a world that seems to be going mad today. The world is going from one perversion to the next perversion. And it only seems to, to the world and, and the culture in which we are living, it only seems to, to get worse. What is the future? What's the future for not ourselves when we even worry about our children? What's the future for our children, for our grandchildren, when we see the things that are going on around us? And yet, what does Paul say here in our text? Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart heart. And when Paul says that, that also suggests that Paul himself uh, had those situations in which he struggled, in which he was tempted to lose heart. You think of Paul's ministry, throughout his ministry, he's constantly opposed and he was harassed for the very sake of the very gospel that he was proclaiming. He was ridiculed by people. He was brought before the judges with all kinds of charges. He was cast into prison. Times he was even beaten for the sake of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but there were members in the churches that he had planted. Members who refused to, to listen to him. Instead, they listened to the false preachers and teachers. They accused Paul of deceitfulness and of not caring about them. They accused him of looking out for his own good and to getting rich on the gospel. You see, Paul is a man who had no end of disappointments. Wherever he went and he proclaimed the gospel, people opposed him. And so, humanly speaking, 
What was the sense for Paul to keep on going with that ministry? Wasn't it just better for Paul to, to quit and to do something else and therefore get, him, get out of the suffering and the pain that he was constantly suffering in his ministry? And what does Paul say? Paul's answer is, he says, we. What he means by we, he's referring to the apostles and likely the fellow workers of the gospel. He says, we do not lose heart. He says, nothing will stop us. The, neither the pain nor the disappointments nor the hardships that we face for the sake of the gospel is going to stop us from what, doing what we're doing. You know, and we kind of think of ourselves, human beings, as, wow, what's Paul thinking here? How stupid. Why would he go and do that? Why would anybody keep beating their head against the wall? Is Paul such a strong man that he can take all that hardships and disappointments and the, the beating? But no. Paul doesn't claim that he's a strong man and, and that he just, uh, he just like water off a duck's back and it just doesn't bother him. And what does he say? He says, no, we have this ministry through God's mercy. And he continues on in this text and he says that he has seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's point is, he says, that when you have seen the glory of God through the gospel, God's glory is greater than all the suffering and all the disappointments that we are faced with here in this life. Our pain and our suffering cannot be compared to the glory that we see in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we reflect then also on this, we will listen to God's word under this theme. Our theme will be that the gospel ministry shines into the heart, the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And in that theme, we'll look at three things. First of all, do not lose heart in proclaiming the gospel. Secondly, the gospel is closed to those who are perishing. And thirdly, our encouragement that God lets the light shine in the darkness. Paul has been dealing with opposition in the church of Corinth. This has been a difficult congregation for the apostle to minister in. This is our second letter. The first letter, Paul already dealt with some, some hardships. He had to admonish the believers for the things that were happening there. There was division within the congregation. There were people who were divided among themselves and they were following different leaders. What they had done is they had elevated the teachings of these different leaders. They had elevated their teachings above that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's message then was there should be no division in the church. There should be no competition between the different leaders within the church in which leaders are trying to get a, a bigger following than, than others. Why? Because we're all to follow the same Lord. We're all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul's point very clearly here, beloved, is this, is that leaders in the church must never put themselves above others. We're always in humility, we're to submit ourselves to Christ and Jesus as Lord. That's what Paul says. It is through God's ministry that we have, the, it is through God's mercy that we have this ministry. Paul's argument is he says, I'm not a minister of the gospel because I am better than other people or because I was more deserving than others. No. It's only because, of God, only because God is merciful and God was merciful to me, a sinner, that I even have this ministry. You know, Paul, think about it. Paul understands this perhaps better than anyone else. 
right? It was the Lord Jesus Christ who came to the Apostle Paul at a time when he was persecuting the church and he was on the way to Damascus. Paul was worthy of God's condemnation. Worthy to have his life stamped out immediately there on the way to Damascus and to be condemned. And yet what does the Lord do? The Lord came and he called the Apostle Paul to be his servant. And he says, Paul, I call you to go and to proclaim my gospel message to the world. The word therefore at the beginning of our, our, our text shows us that the words of our text are connected to, to what Paul has just written earlier in the, in the previous chapter about the glory of God. There he, he writes about the fact in the Old Testament when Moses spoke with God in the tent of, of, of meeting uh, that, God, that Moses' face reflected the very glory of God because he's sitting there in the presence of God. And when the people saw that glory of God radiating from his face, they were afraid. And so they pleaded with Moses that he might cover his face with a veil so they wouldn't need to see that glory. And now Paul says, he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that is to the Lord Jesus Christ, the veil is now taken away. What he means is today the gospel message, uh, it is through the gospel message that with unveiled faces we are able to contemplate, we're able to see the Lord's glory even as we today are being transformed into his image with increasing glory. So as we reflect on that, think about what, what, is God, what is Paul's ministry? Well, Paul's ministry is to go and proclaim the gospel message. And this is a message, beloved, that, that reveals the very glory of Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's the very reason why Paul says we do not lose heart. In the face of opposition, in the face of hardships, if, if, if you see the glory of Christ, then His glory, then there in His glory, we have everything that we need in order to continue in our faith. The hardships and the troubles of life, they, they begin to fade from memory when you see the glory of Christ, because that becomes the very focus in your life. And, and the other things, the other things in your life begin to fade into the background. If the glory of Christ captures your attention. Beloved, then you will no longer dwell on the troubles that you face every day in your life. Yes, they'll be there. It won't make your troubles any less. But you will put those troubles in a different perspective when you understand that the, the glory of Christ. And so Paul, Paul then tells us how this impacts the way he carries out his ministry in verse 2. He says, we renounce the secret uh, that are underhanded and shameful, disgraceful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. No, on the contrary, Paul says, he says, no, we set forth the truth plainly. Now, when he says underhanded or using secret or underhanded means to bring the gospel, he says, that is not worthy. That's not worthy of the very glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea that Paul has here, you can compare it to a fisherman. I know some of you are fishermen. We're in, I'm understanding fishing, fishing territory. When I was in Chilliwack, I never went fishing. I had a professor at Regent who uh, loved fishing. He lived in, in Vancouver, and he would come to Chilliwack to, to fish. And so that's how I knew that I came to know about that Chilliwack was a, was a fishing center here in, in British Columbia. So many, many of you are, are avid fishermen. 
And when you go fishing and you throw the, the hook into the water, I think every one of you puts some bait on, on the hook. Why do you put bait on the hook? Well, you, of course you do that because you want to uh, draw in the fish. Because you know that the, when you put a hook in, the fish is not going to go for the hook. But if you put a bait on the, on the hook, then the, it, will, it will snare the fish. Because the fish doesn't understand what's, what's happening. Well, so Paul here has in, in mind false uh, teachers who use deceptive ways to snare people. Paul illustrates what he means in, verse, in chapter 11 that we read earlier in verse 3, where he, he speaks about false apostles and false ministers of the gospel. And he says in verse 3 there, he says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then in verse 4, he speaks about some of these deceptive ways when he writes about preachers who, who preach a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached or a different gospel from the one you received. Paul tells us some interesting things. Why do false preachers preach a Jesus who is different from the Jesus found in the gospel? You know that some may preach Jesus because they, because they, they want to preach a Jesus that they think the people want to, want to have. They, the, the Jesus that people are looking for. They want to preach to Jesus who is not going to be offensive uh, to the hearers because they want to keep people on their side. And there are others who preach that the Jesus that they think is going to get them a bigger following and make them much more popular. Today you can think of the prosperity preachers who, who promise that if you come to Jesus, Jesus will take away all of your problems. Jesus is able to make you rich. Jesus will put a, a Mercedes there in your driveway. Others use Jesus to become rich themselves at the expense of others. Think of many of the, the TV evangelists in the past, many of them ended up in jail because of fraud. What did the devil do with Eve? See, Paul goes back and he says, remember what the devil did to Eve? The devil came and the devil distorted the word of God. And he said to, to Eve, God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because he knows that if you do, that you'll become just like, just like him. What did Satan do? Satan came and he twisted the very word of God for his own gain and for his own glory. Well, Paul says, he says, I did not use the ways of those false preachers and teachers. I did not use a, a bait and switch strategy to try to snare you. But I, was, I came to you and I was completely honest and I was open with you about that very gospel message. I plainly set the, out that message about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came, remember how I spoke to you about his glory? A glory that was revealed what? How? A glory that was revealed to, through his suffering. Glory that was revealed through his death on the cross. Not the way most people would think about a man being glorious. But Paul says, I was honest and I plainly proclaimed to you the gospel about this man who suffered and who died. 
But today I also can proclaim to you a, a man who displayed his, his glory in his resurrection from the dead. And so Paul says, I never misrepresented who Jesus was, but I spoke plainly about the glorious work of salvation that he came to do for sinners. And Paul goes on and he says, and we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, Paul is saying, God is my witness. In good conscience, uh, I can also say to you that I proclaim the gospel faith, uh, faithfully and plainly and truthfully. I did so in the very sight of Almighty God. And God will testify that I have faithfully proclaimed the truth of the gospel message. And it is there in Christ's saving work that the glory of Christ has been clearly revealed unto you. So that leads us to another question, and Paul to another question. So if he is pre preaching the glory of Christ, well, why? Why is his message not being accepted by everyone? If that message of Christ reveals his glory, would you not expect that everyone would come to, uh, to, to Paul, everyone would come to Christ, everyone would receive Christ? Well, Paul says not everyone receives it because the message is being, uh, is being veiled so that it cannot be clearly seen by people. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And when he says, even if the gospel is being veiled, uh, he's not saying uh, that I am actually doing that, that the gospel is being, is being hidden. No, Paul, Paul clearly is preaching the gospel message. There's nothing hidden uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. There's nothing that is obscured about what the Lord Jesus' work really was. No, the message was preached clearly for everyone to see, for everyone to understand. So the problem was not in the message. The problem was not that the message was too, too difficult or too hard to be able to understand it. Yet the reality is that not everyone will see the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Not everyone will see His glory. Not everyone will acknowledge what the Lord Jesus Christ has come to do. It is, Paul says, as if many in this world have this veil over their faces that prevents them from seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. And who are those who have a veil over their eyes? It's those who are perishing, he says. Those who are walking on the path that leads to their eternal condemnation, to hell. Verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, Paul wrote, he says, When anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, what he's saying, he says, There is a veil that covers the hearts and that covers the minds of people. And because of that veil, they cannot see the very glory of Christ. And so in order to, to, to see the glory of Christ as your Savior, that veil must be taken away. But read verse, chapter 3, verse 16. Read it carefully. He does not say that we must take away that veil. No, we don't take away the veil in our front of our eyes. He says it is taken away. It's taken away by God. 
It's taken away by the Holy Spirit who comes, who opens the eyes of mankind so that they might behold the very glory of Christ. And so, beloved, the veil here is not a result of Paul's preaching the gospel in an obscure kind of way. Remember, during the life of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus would often, when he, when he healed somebody, he would often tell them, don't tell anybody else. Or when he told something to the disciples, there were times he said to the disciples, tell no one. During his life here on this earth, Christ did hide his glory from the people. Why? Because he was not yet ready to openly reveal himself as the Savior of Israel. He still had to, he still had to suffer. He still had to die. And so he did not have, it was not yet possible for him to reveal that glory. But after his resurrection, what does Christ do? Christ goes and he sends his apostles and he says to his 12 apostles, he says, go and proclaim my name openly and plainly to the world as their Savior. In other words, the glory of Christ, beloved, is no longer obscured. But the light of Christ must now be placed on the hilltops for everyone to be able to see. But not everyone. Not everyone sees the light of Christ's glory there on the hilltops. And while the glory of Christ is, is, is no longer veiled, yet the eyes of all those who are perishing, it is veiled. And why are their eyes veiled? Well, why can those who are perishing not see the very glory of Christ? Well, Paul gives the answer in verse 4, and he says this. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the very glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, the God of this age, who is that God? It's Satan. Now, there are some commentators who have twisted Paul's words to mean that there are, see, there are two gods in this world. There's God and then there's Satan. That's, that's not what Paul says. And anybody who, know, who knows Paul's and has, has read Paul's letters knows that's not what Paul means. There's only one God. God who is the creator of this world. But in his creation, in this creation of God, there's another, Satan. And Satan claims to be God. He claims to be ruler of all mankind. And so what the reality, beloved, in this world is this, is there, on the one hand, there is Satan, and Satan stands in opposition to Almighty God. And Satan is constantly busy destroying all the works of God in this world. And when Paul speaks about him as the God of this age, you notice in this age, that means that Satan will be working in this age, but he will not be working in, in the age that is to come. Satan will not have the position of power that he has today. But when Paul, when Paul speaks about Satan being the God of this age, what he's reminding us of is this, is that Satan still has great power. And what does he do? He uses that power to blind the minds of unbelievers by placing a veil over their eyes so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. The gospel message that Paul preaches plainly is a great light that shines in the world. But what's the devil? The devil is working hard to blind the minds of the unbelievers who are perishing. You see, you see that also in our culture today. And so many people around us also here in this community are, are blind to the truths of the gospel. How does Satan, 
How does Satan blind the minds of mankind? Well, he uses the same strategy he did in the beginning. He gets them to believe the lie. Satan asks the question, so who are the evil people here in this world? Who are the hate mongers? Who are the bigots here in this world? Well, Satan answers. Well, Satan, the answer clearly is he says, it's those pesky Christians. It's those Christians who will, tell, uh, who will tell you that what you're doing is sinful and what you're doing is, is, is wrong. Christians are portrayed uh, by the devil as bad people, as evil people, because they're the ones who, who want to stop you from having an abortion, when the abortion is clearly the answer to the tr- troubles in your life. These Christians, oh, they're the ones who, who say uh, that, it is, that people do not have different genders, that were born either as male or female. Christians are the ones who say you shouldn't get a divorce or divorce is wrong or it's not good. But you should remain faithful in your marriage. How ludicrous to think that you could be married to the same person your whole life. Or the Christians, they're the ones who, who tell you that every children and every child should have a father or a mother. Don't you know that it's possible for children to have two fathers and two mothers or to have some kind of mix? Some transgendered person, perhaps, as a parent. You see how the forces of evil twist the truth. Now, maybe I should just put a caveat here. Is as Christians, we need to be careful how we talk about these issues, uh, that we do not um, provoke also the unbelievers or speak in a way that, that, uh, that we makes it very difficult for us to, to, bring, to bring the gospel. But we should also be, be aware that the devil uses these tactics to, and because we know what indeed what Scripture and what the Lord has taught us, uses these tactics to try to turn people against us as Christians as if we are the worst people. We're the hate mongers and the bigots in this world. And so you see how the, the forces of, of evil twist the truth so that mankind accepts the lie for the gospel truth and the, and the gospel truth as a lie. Well, beloved, what is true today was already true way back in the days of the Apostle Paul. The gospel is is not rejected because the truth is is hidden from people, but it is rejected because the forces of evil have blinded them to the very glory of Christ. So that leads us then to our situation. And and what I've heard also this afternoon is here's as this congregation, you want to be reaching out and be a light in the community in which you are living. But if the eyes of people in our community, if they're being blinded, does that mean that it is useless for us to go and to witness to the glory of Christ because they're not going to be able to see it anyway? Should we lose heart in going out and preaching and teaching the gospel when we see the evil all around us and think it's useless? Is it a lost cause because of the power of the, of the devil? And what's Paul's answer? Paul's answer is, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Verses 4 and 5. Paul gives us the encouragement to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel truth. When he says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. 
As you read these words, beloved, we, we need to have a proper self-awareness of who we really are. Does the preacher think that his ministry is all about himself, about his own reputation? Do we think that when we tell others about Christ that it's about our own life and about ourselves? Do we think that we speak to others about, about the gospel because we have something to boast about in our own lives? You see, when we speak about Christ, beloved, it's never about us. And we never want to put ourselves in, in, in the center somehow uh, that uh, this gospel message is, is something about me personally. What does Paul say? Paul says that we preach what we preach is not ourselves. And so any preacher, any Christian who speaks in a way in which they boast about themselves or they try to draw attention to themselves and uh, puts themselves in the very center. And Paul says you cannot do that. You may not do that. And why not? Well, think about it. how. How can you make yourself the center of attention when your eyes are open and you see the glory of Christ? When you see the glory of Christ, you realize, I have no glory. And you realize you have no glory. But that we're all sinners who are inglorious sinners. Only Christ reflects glory as the perfect Savior. We do not. So who must, we, who must we preach or speak about? It must be Jesus Christ as Lord. Beloved, Jesus is Lord. Not you. Not I. Yet the reality is that we often make ourselves Lord because we want to be in control and, and we want to determine our own lives and our agenda. No, Jesus is Lord. Why? He's the one who, who not only died on the cross, but he also overcame sin. He overcame death. He is the one who, who rose from the dead. And he went and he ascended into heaven. And there he seated at the right hand of God. And there he reigns over all things from heaven. Beloved, if, if we have any glory at all, it is only because of the glory of Christ. Therefore, do not ever think in your mind somehow that you serve yourself or that, that somehow your, your Christian life is something about boosting your own ego. No, being a Christian is a matter of emptying ourselves, also of pride and of arrogance, because we serve Christ, not ourselves. And so Paul continues to write that we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Ministers of the gospel serve the congregation as servants of Christ. The congregation, the church, is not lord over the minister, nor is the congregation lord over the elders in the church. Ministers and elders serve the congregation as servants of Christ. You know, false preachers often do what the people want. False preachers are ready to tickle the, uh, the ears of the hearers with a message that they like to hear. But true preachers of the gospel proclaim the glory of Christ to the congregation. And often when they proclaim also Christ Jesus, it may be offensive to, to the hearers because we're called to faith, not only to faith, we're called to repentance, we're called uh, to transformation, to change. 
The message that the minister the ministers of the gospel are to proclaim is a message that the congregation needs to take to heart in order that they might be saved and might be able to give glory to Christ. Beloved, understand this. Preachers of the gospel have but one task. One task. And that is to help God's people, to help you as the people of God to see more clearly the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And if preachers of the gospel do not do that, if preachers of the gospel bring glory to themselves or bring glory to people rather than to Christ Jesus, that is an issue. It does not lead to life. It doesn't lead to salvation. Through the faithful preaching and the teaching of the gospel, the light of Christ is made to shine in the hearts of the people. And when you think of that, Preachers get to let the glory of Christ shine in the hearts of the the hearers. What a glorious task that is. And not only that, but understand that that gospel message is a power of God to remove the veil from the eyes of those who are perishing so that they may have eternal life. For Paul says in verse 6, he says, God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, he made his light to shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What Paul is saying here, beloved, is that the words of the gospel are not mere words. Right? The world is full of libraries, and libraries are full of books, and, and millions and billions of words have been written, but they're just mere words. But the words written in the gospel, the words written in God's word, they're not mere words. They're different in every word you find in the world because they are a word that is the power of God to change your hearts and to change your life. Paul compares the word to God's creating power. He says, remember in the beginning when God created the world, he commanded, let the light shine. And the word of God was powerful enough so that the light shone. The world at first was a dark place and the light overcame the darkness. And you know that without light, the world would not be able to exist as it does today. Without light, there is no life. Without light, we cannot survive as human beings. And and as God causes the light to shine into the darkness of this world, literally in the beginning... Paul says it is the same God who makes his light to shine in our hearts today. Two things that you are to keep in mind here. The first is know your limitations. Know your limitations. See, we can can speak about the gospel. We can talk to people about the Lord Jesus. But beloved, we do not have the power And you do not have the ability to make people to see the light. You may be praying for for loved ones. And in my congregation, there are many, many who are new to the faith. Many who have parents who do not believe. Brothers and sisters who do not believe. Relatives who do not believe. Aunts and uncles, cousins, friends. And they're praying. Praying that their loved ones may come to to see the glory of Christ Jesus. Perhaps here in this congregation, 
Many of you may simply have children, maybe brothers and sisters who have gone astray, who have left the, uh, the ways of the Lord and yet who grew up in the same ways as you didn't know in the gospel. And you may pray for them that they may again see the light of the glory of Christ Jesus. But understand your limitations. The reality is, beloved, that you cannot penetrate the veil that blinds them to the very glory of Christ. And yet what Paul say? Paul says, we do not lose heart. For there's a second thing that we need to remember. And that is, with God, there are no limitations. As God made the light to shine in the darkness of creation long ago, it is the Lord who now also makes the light to shine in our hearts today. As Paul said earlier in chapter 3.16, he says, God has removed the veil over our eyes. If God has done that for you, He's done that for me, then He can also do that for those who are still blind to the very glory of Christ. And that gives us also the reason that we never, never give up witnessing to the very glory of Christ Jesus. To those who we love, nor to those in our community, we never stop praying for, for those whom we love. We never stop praying for those in our community who are living in darkness. For the Lord, beloved, the Lord has the power to make the light shine even in the hearts of those who are perishing. Paul, when he writes these words, Paul is not an idealist. Paul is not saying something that is beyond reality. No, Paul understands what God's power is uniquely. Because Paul himself was one of those who was perishing. Christ himself came to the Apostle Paul as he was on the way to Damascus and he caused the great light to, uh, to shine from, from heaven. And in that light, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed his glory to the Apostle Paul. Paul saw his glory. A glory that at first blinded his eyes. But yet he recognized he recognized the mercy of God in coming to him a sinner, one who was persecuting his own people, one who hated the Lord Jesus with a passion. And God came and he gave to Paul the light of the knowledge of the glory that was displayed in the very face of Christ Jesus. That was the gift that Paul, that Paul never forgot. It was a gift that motivated Paul to the very last day of his life. When Paul thinks about God's mercy for him, one in which God came and called him to his glorious ministry, Paul says, God has done this for me, then I will never, never lose heart. I've seen the glory of God in there in the face of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, beloved, the gospel message, it is a great shining light that reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes, he says, and whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
right? The very scales that, that blind us begin to fall from our eyes, and then we begin to stand, we stand enthralled at the very glory of our Lord as we see Him as our Savior. What a blessing that is, that I, a sinner unworthy, may now clearly see the very glory of my Lord and my Savior. And so, beloved, then do not lose heart, but rejoice always in the glory of your Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, we thank you that you have revealed to us the wonderful glory, your wonderful glory, in the life of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, there are times that we don't always see that glory as we should. Even as we are gathered here this afternoon, we must recognize and we also confess before you there are times that we're so busy with the things of life that we don't even clearly see and understand the riches that you've given to us in your gospel. We don't always reflect on the life of our Lord Jesus in our daily lives. Oh, there are those times that we're going through hardships and troubles and, and we lose heart and we be, fall into despair and we, we worry about the future. Times that we do not truly live by faith as we should because we put ourselves in the center and we think of all the things of how we are able to manage our own lives. When the reality is that we cannot manage our lives or we are weak and incapable of doing so. That you... You're the God who is powerful. You're the God who is able to, to provide for us each day again because you have no limitations. And so, Lord, also this afternoon, convict us. Convict us in our hearts of the glorious truth of your gospel. Lord, we are thankful when your gospel is being proclaimed plainly and truthfully. We pray that you will then also bless all preachers of the gospel that, that they may proclaim your word from the heart that they may proclaim it in a way which they want to bring honor and glory to you. And Lord, we know that, our, that we ourselves are limited in what we can do. And yet you call us as instruments in your hands to proclaim the glory of your name and the glory of the great work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, also when that word is being proclaimed, they're not just mere words, but they are your instrument and, they're your, and, and they also carry your power in which you're able to change the hearts of mankind, able to remove the veil that lays over the eyes of many so that they may see your glorious work. Lord, we, we live in a world where there is so much darkness. We live in a time, too, where we see that the devil has the upper hand and, and so many are being blinded to the truths of the gospel. So many are, are being turned against Christian believers, turned against your people because they're being taught that... Christians are, are evil, that they are people that you cannot trust. And yet, Lord, we know it is nothing but a blatant lie. For it is only those who, who turn to, to you and who look to Jesus Christ for the life and salvation who truly understand what it means to love, what it means to, to care for others, what it means to, to also be able to walk alongside others in the midst of their hopelessness and their, and their despair. Because you give to us a glorious message. You give to us the glorious hope of life everlasting in your son Jesus Christ. Because he's come. And he suffered. Suffered what we deserve to suffer. He died the death that we deserve to die. 
so that he might deliver us from that suffering. He might deliver us from that death. So that we might be despaired from the pains of eternal condemnation. And instead we may look forward with hope and with joy in our hearts of the glorious future that awaits all of your people. Lord, we pray. We also bless this congregation. And be with Pastor Phil as he also proclaims the gospel from week to week. We pray, with, we pray for the elders and the leadership of the church that they may also be faithful in the work that you give them to do. Be with the members of the congregation that there may also be spiritual growth and that there may be a continually, a continually desire to, to praise and to worship your name. Lord, we pray that also this congregation may be a light in the midst of this world. Lord, we, we know that you are preparing a harvest also in the community in which we live you have promised uh, that the harvest is plentiful, whereas the laborers may be few. But the harvest is there, and therefore we may then also trust that you will bring that harvest in. We pray that you will do that here in this place as you're doing that in Brampton, and as you are able and will do that in wherever your church is being gathered. Lord, you're able to work also in the hearts of those who live without hope. And as they seek uh, that, uh, that hope and they seek also purpose in their lives, we pray that you may bring them to a knowledge of you as Almighty God. Lord, we pray that you will continue to gather your church from the ends of this world. We know that also in that way that your name may be glorified. Because ultimately that is our greatest desire, that, that your glory may go out into the world and may shine from every corner of the earth. So that people ever may acknowledge you to be God, Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior. And that you may then receive all praise and all glory. So, Lord, grant us your blessing also this week. Protect us in our daily activities, in our work. Grant that we also in our daily activities that we may do it in such a way that we use every opportunity to reflect that we are your children, children who love you, and children who desire to serve you for the sake of your glory. Hear us and for Jesus' sake alone. Amen.